0: Hello and welcome to Bite-Sized History, the show where I try to make history fun, fast, and interesting. I'm Nick, your host. Today, we're going to be talking about Damascus steel, which was a very special type of metal. It refers to the metal itself, but also the forging process. Very famous uh, throughout history, and for a long time, the people who made it were so secretive about this method that the recipe was lost. This is from a great article I was inspired by. It was called The Lost Art of True Damascus Steel by Carrie Whitney, PhD, from How Stuff Works, from uh, December of 2020. So, without further ado, let's get started digging into the secrets of Damascus Steel. It might sound a little basic, but I guess the best place to start is to define our terms. Damascus and steel. So just to kick things off, Damascus is uh, one of the oldest continually inhabited cities in the world. It's in Syria. And the reason why it's called Damascus Steel is for a very long time, it was a center for forging this kind of metal. The city of Damascus was famous for the craftsmen, the artisans, who lived there that were cranking out this steel. So this kind of forging process and the resulting metal implements, uh, mostly blades but other things as well, uh, became associated with the city of Damascus. And for those of you out there who maybe don't know too much about metallurgy or forging or anything like that, steel is an alloy that's made from iron and carbon and it was a huge development in human history. A lot of really, really old periods in human history are named after the metalworking process that kind of dominated that time. So like you have like the Bronze Age, the Iron Age. Well, at a certain point, um, people discovered that if you mixed iron, like iron implements while you were forging, with carbon, which was usually from coal, Uh, you would get steel. And the the trick with that is that they were constantly tinkering with the proportions of iron uh, and carbon. Because generally speaking, iron gave you strength and carbon gave you flexibility. And when you're making something kind of long and skinny, like a sword blade, you want it to be strong enough to withstand impacts on stone or metal or wood. But you also want it to be flexible enough that it's not brittle. It's not going to snap on you. Um, And, you know, generations of sword makers, uh, weaponsmiths, were experimenting uh, with these formulas. There is, I guess the best place to start is that Damascus Steel was a way of... Forging these in pre, in precise proportions, where you got really high quality blades. And uh, as long as you're not driving, I would encourage anybody uh, who really wants to participate in this episode to Google Damascus steel because it looks beautiful. It's it's basically kind of like this dark steel, you know, metal color, but there's like undulating waves of black. And according to secret recipes. Um, blacksmiths can actually create different patterns. It almost looks like the waving patterns, it almost looks like when you go to a coffee shop and they'll put an artistic pattern in foam or cream in your coffee. It's like these you know, undulating waves, almost like sand dunes. One of the reasons why you get this pattern in the metal is because of what's called uh, layered forging. So they'll have pieces and then combine them and and kind of smelt them together and then shape them that way. One thing I did learn um, is that over the past few centuries, Damascus steel was often also called Wootz steel, W-O-O-T-Z. So if you're doing research in this topic, you might come across that term. Uh, and it's basically just like another word for Damascus steel. Now in the old days, like we're talking about maybe the late middle ages, uh, you know, maybe Renaissance period or stuff like that. The raw ores for Damascus steel came from India and it's because there was a region there that had a very high quality, uh, kind of deposit of iron ore, which, uh, had about 1.5% carbon. Now they, they would mine these and then smelt them into ingots or cakes of this Indian steel and then they were sent to Damascus, uh, Syria, where they were made into swords. And as I already said, the best steel made them stable and flexible. One of the things I mentioned earlier was that Damascus steel was ideal for something that was long and skinny like a sword blade, but the same techniques also applied to another weapon that would come along and change the world that was also long and skinny and that is black powder weapons, uh, basically guns. And the same technique was used to forge gun barrels. Um, So in the early modern period, you know, let's say some of these Arab armies or in the early days of the Ottoman Empire, a lot of these firearms they had were really fancy, like really visually impressive because the barrels were made of Damascus steel. There were other places that actually made uh, this type of metal. Um, According to this article, quote, some version of Damascus steel has been produced for centuries everywhere from Indonesia to the Middle East, end quote. So this patterned steel, very much in the minds of many Europeans, became associated with the Orient. You know, the mysterious East. Um, just as a brief side tangent, actually, uh, the word Orient comes from uh, Orientalis, which is Latin for East. So it, <laughs> if you know Latin, like it doesn't have any weird arcane meaning or anything. over the course of my reading i came across two legends about damascus steel that i wanted to share with you now very important before i tell you them take these with a grain of salt Uh, this is kind of less historical fact and a little bit more historical myth and legend but there's one legend that in order to test these new blades they had to be able to cut through a silk scarf as it was falling that was a way for these weaponsmiths to test it Another legend that I read was that uh, in Damascus, when the blades were ready and they were still red-hot, like fresh off the forge, according to this legend, the way to finish the blade was to plunge it red-hot into a slave. And something about how the red-hot metal would react with the fluids in the blood of the slave, possibly the iron or or something like that, it was seen as like a, a final step in the curing process. Either that, or it was just to test its its sharpness or anything, but uh, just two very interesting legends that I came across. I mentioned earlier that the recipe had been lost, and that is true. By the early 19th century, Damascus steel was no longer being produced, and one of the theories is that the, the people who made it were too successful <laughs> in keeping it a secret, and they just generally died off. Um, for many centuries it was the highest quality steel, but you know what happened in the early 19th century? Well, it was the beginning of the industrial revolution in Europe. So now you started having more sophisticated techniques for making steel. So basically smelters could get hotter and when you can raise a temperature hotter, 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 you can create different alloys, you can melt different types of metal and, and stuff like that. because every metal has a different melting point uh people were also experimenting with different proportions of iron and carbon maybe even mixing trace elements of other metals um so that's kind of the point i i wanted to make is even now you know like in modern times damascus steel is still very high quality steel but but it it doesn't compare to really the scientifically driven ultra modern the highest grades of modern steel so you might say well okay why is it still around why it's and it's really for aesthetics it's it's for the looks i mean again if you google pictures of damascus steel it just looks so special and so unique that there is no other kind of steel uh that really measures up to it it's used for all sorts of things Uh, In the modern world, you know, not just blades, uh, but, you you know, you can find jewelry, rings, watches, uh, eating utensils, spoons, forks, belt buckles, razors, uh, even pens made of uh, Damascus steel. And the way I discovered the existence of this metal was through kitchen knives. I was at a friend's house and I I saw these beautiful kitchen knives. What is this? Oh, it's Damascus steel. So... That's just one more thing i wanted to share there's a swedish company um and i guess they got really into steel making they're called damasteel and they have different patterns for their damascus steel called thor odin's eye loki bifrost blue tongue stuff like that and the reason why i bring that up is not only are the names cool but it's that you know, craftsmen of this metal at the very highest level are actually able to create distinct patterns. Um, so that, if again, if you Google what it looks like, sometimes you'll find a chart with all of these um, different patterns. And if you work with two grades of steel, you can actually have slight color variations too. And so they create these these top secret recipes. It's just so, so interesting. Uh, one thing you will find if you're interested in Damascus steel knives is they do cost more. I, I, and I mean, I, after everything I've told you over the past few minutes, I guess that shouldn't come as a surprise. But really, if, if you want something really pretty uh, and impressive for your kitchen, maybe a conversation starter, especially after you've gotten a little bit of, uh, you've gotten some bite-sized history from yours truly, you could do a lot worse than uh, investing in some Damascus steel blades for your kitchen. Definitely very impressive okay well that's all i have to share with you today on the topic of damascus steel i just wanted to give a brief overview about what it was and kind of maybe some snapshots of it throughout history when i was reading um i had to make kind of a judgment call not to go too deeply into like the nuts and bolts of like the mechanical scientific details of like how it's made exactly because I, I thought, ah, maybe that wouldn't be too interesting, but, um, because I am keenly aware that the percentage of my listener base that is really into metallurgy is probably pretty low. But in any case, uh, I hope you learned something. I hope it was interesting. You've been listening to Bite-Sized History, the show where I try to make history fun, fast, and interesting. I was Nick, your host. Listener mail can be sent to Bite-Sized History Podcast at gmail.com. And uh, oh, tell your friends and leave a review on iTunes, please. Thank you so, so much for listening. Goodbye.